Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's watch the trailer for Artifact. How many people have a copy of our new record? How many people stole that copy on the internet? After over a decade of struggling, we finally achieved some worldwide success, and we decided to make a film about the making of our next album. But it quickly turned into something else. 30 Seconds to Mars is being sued for $30 million. 30 Seconds to Mars suffered a contract that really wasn't even a direct contract with EMI. They're getting everything that they want, complete domination over the artist. There's always been a serious distrust between an artist and their record label. The music industry was set up to take advantage of artists who don't really care about the money. Unfortunately, there's a lot of fallout still with bands getting paid. They basically told us to shut up and go make another album. And it's not even the fight to beat somebody, it's the fight for what's right, what's fair. You gotta guide me here. I'm, I'm in over my head. I don't know what to do. They deserve the disaster that they're in the middle of. Ah! The struggle is all part of it. That's what I mean about now. Be a bit off balance. Try out a few mad things, and now you're in a great place to do that. Jared always jokes, some kid's going to figure it out, and he's going to sell 100 million copies of a single by himself, and then that's going to be the new beginning. By the way, I think I came up with a name for the album. What is it? This is War. For us, it was all or nothing. Sometimes you have to fight in order to be free. We put everything on black and we rolled the dice. Give people awesome music and then make it very easy for them to help you, and they will. Don't you just want to make something that's phenomenal, something that's great, something that's undeniable? We're doing that. I hope so. I put everything that I have into this. My entire life, everything. We all have. Please welcome our guest moderator from the playlist, Drew Taylor, and tonight's guest, Jared Leto. Thanks. I think it was for me, right? They love you. Yeah, they love me. Thank you. They absolutely love you. Uh, What's well, going down, people? Uh, so my first question is, obviously, that this <laughs> seems like it started out as sort of more of a like video diary or something. When did it transition? Can I just impersonate the poster really quick? Yes. I think it's the same thing. Yeah. I uh, have the same hair, too. God. <laughs> you need to go back to the Tough cornrows. Times. Yeah. Um, so when did it transition from being this kind of, like, very personal thing to an actual, you know, documentary where you're bringing people in and, and all of that? Well, one day, uh, I was sitting at the piano with my brother in Los Angeles. We had been on our first global tour we came back and we were talking and thinking about the next album which became this is war 
Uh, and I grabbed a camera and I started filming them and I thought, wow, this would be really great to capture the making of the next album. Little did I know we were going to capture the biggest battle of our entire fucking lives. Uh, but that's how it started, really organic beginning. Right. And then the, the, there's this great strain of sort of activism and awareness and education throughout the movie and you brought in people to, to do interviews for it. I mean. How did that come about? How did you choose who was going to be in the movie and, and sort of what they were going to talk about? Um, I mean, it's a good question. But uh, to talk about uh, the other people in the film, a lot of the people that I interviewed actually worked at the record company. Uh, all of the people that I interviewed have subsequently been fired. Um, you can laugh a little. They have other jobs now. <laughs> They're not starving, and if they were, then maybe they deserve it. Um, no, uh, they're actually, the people we talked to, there's a lot of great people in there, and, um, but I interviewed people that I thought were interesting, and you know, most musicians, if you've had any success at all, uh, if you've been signed for more than a few years, um, you have a story to tell. Uh, it's a business, for those of you that have seen the film, uh, that is rife with um, this kind of uh, experience. So everyone has a story to tell. And, and uh, how many of you guys have actually seen the movie? So some of you, most of you. But uh, we actually have a clip that maybe we'll... Liars! <laughs> but we can run the clip now and we can show... Are we going to show a clip? Yeah, we have a clip. All right, if you anyone's under 18 here, you may want to close your eyes or go to the bathroom... <laughs> This is the unseen clip. It's got full frontal. <laughs> Careful. Don't be dirty. This is art. Come on. What do they want? $30 million. <laughs> really? You're being sued for $30 million. What are you... How do you sleep at night? I have no idea where the number came from other than it, it certainly wasn't a, a wink to the, to the press or why aren't we clever to use the same number. 30 Seconds to Mars had just sold a lot, of, uh, a lot of albums and never made any money. We weren't really expecting a bunch of money. We just thought it bizarre that, that all of this revenue was being generated and that we were still 2.7 million dollars in debt, so we started to look into it. The drama. So what, one of the more amazing aspects of the movie is that you're faced with this incredible obstacle. Yes. Instead of sort of making a little handmade album, you bring in the guy that produced The Downward Spiral. Uh, yeah. Was there ever uh, any inclination on your part or any of the other members of the band to just sort of like do this super, you know, homemade, sort of handcraft this thing? Well, that's the thing. It was a very homemade, handcrafted album. We made it in a house, in the basement of a house in, in, in the Hollywood Hills. And, uh, you know, we financed the album ourselves. We, we made it, uh, uh, you know, just a very small group of us. And we did hire Flood. And, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting to note, like well, when we made that album, Tomo was still living in a 300 square foot apartment. My brother was living in my house. Um, we had not achieved a great deal of uh, success. You know, I mean, we hadn't 
made money, you know. Um, so we did put what little we had uh, made into the album. We bet on ourselves, and there were also lawyers' fees to pay, and it's a very expensive thing. I mean, this lawsuit, I can't overstate. It's a, it, wasn't a, uh, it wasn't just a, a press quote. We were being sued for $30 million, and when you're being sued for $30 million, you wake up in the morning, and instead of thinking about coffee, you think about $30 million. And before you go to bed at night, before having strenuous lovemaking sessions, you think about, isn't that what you do? You think about the fact that your dreams, your work, your life could be taken from you. And it's absolutely horrible. I mean, has anybody ever been sued or gone through a lawsuit here? It's the worst thing. I'm glad that so few people have raised their hands. Uh, but it's the worst thing, whether it's a small amount or a big amount, it's an absolutely atrocious thing, especially because you're fighting something that's not even human. You're fighting a corporation that's designed to think about one thing, and that is the bottom line, to think about profit. That is what a corporation is built for. So, you know, uh, and also an entire history, a culture, and an industry. So it was, uh, it, was a, it was a pretty intense battle. What was the most, uh, single most sort of eye-opening part of this whole experience? Well, there were a few things. Um, the eye-opening, you know what was the greatest lesson to learn is it's the cliche. It's that it's so important to fight for what you believe in. If there's ever something that you wanted to stand up for, you know, I mean, look at us and follow our lead. It is absolutely necessary to fight for what you believe in, big or small. Um, and that was a great lesson to learn. It was difficult. It was, uh, you know, not a lot of fun, uh, but a really important part of our story. I'm so glad that we did it. The other thing that I think of when you ask that question is we were able to dispute our contract, which was incredibly unfair, uh, because of the de Havilland law. Does anybody know who Olivia de Havilland is? She was in uh, Gone with the Wind, right? She's 99, 98 years old right now. She lives in Paris. She's an actress, and she fought the studio system in the 40s. And because she fought the studio system and she won, we had this leverage. There's a California labor law in place now that says no one can be held bound to a contract for more than seven years. And that's a great thing, because sometimes artists and people's on record companies get held to a contract for their lifetimes. Uh, and you know, this never-ending series of uh, 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 fine print that you just can't get away. So we were able to use the de Havilland Law and uh, uh, leave EMI. And then that's when they promptly sued us. But I got to meet Olivia de Havilland in Paris. I reached out to her, and she wrote me this note that looked like it was from the 1940s. It was beautiful. It was a blue, I'm sure it was scented as well, you know, and this handwriting that was just like, you know, from another time, it was so gorgeous. She wrote me a note saying how proud and glad she was that her case could help us in ours, and the next time I was in Paris, would I please call on her, which was wonderful because, uh, you know, I sent a pigeon back. Um, 
But I, I think we did. We, we, not a pigeon, but we sent, you know, we did send a note. We called on her when we were in Paris and we set up a meeting and I went over for lunch and had this incredible experience uh, with Miss Olivia de Havilland. But that's what happens when people do stand up. Other people can benefit and learn from it. And, and you've had a new album that came out earlier this year. Uh, what was that experience like, especially, in, uh, you know, compared to what we saw here? Well, it was interesting making an album without a brutal lawsuit hanging over your head, you know, without anxiety and the stresses that that brings. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. There was a lot of joy um, where we could just focus on the album, focus on the songs. And uh, that was really nice. Because you watch this movie and think, well, why would anyone ever go through that You again? have to, well, you know, it's funny. It's not even a lawsuit. I mean, is it, if you're an artist, are there any creative people here today? Any artists? Just a couple. Um, you know, you have to be compelled beyond a reasonable doubt to be an artist because it's not an easy path, and nor should it be. Uh, it should be as, you know, delicate as the tightrope. Um, it should be challenging. Uh, uh, so, yeah. Well, uh, you know, the other aspect of your sort of artistic life is, is acting, and I just wanted to congratulate you on the New York Film Critics Circle uh, Award. <laughs> Go. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to, to ask you sort of why you had left, what made you come back, uh, where acting sort of fits into your life today. It's hilarious, though, because when you look up the top, it says singer-actor. It's funny how times have is that changed. How it, is that how it is? I mean, is that I mean, how you see yourself? time spent, yeah. Okay. I mean, because uh, I've made one film in six years. Uh, I don't think people missed me very much, you know? Uh, but if they did... I, I think they would disagree. Aww. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, how can you miss me if I never go away, right? Um, and it's nice to come back. Uh, uh, you know, I think that art in general, you only have s as much to offer as you experience. You know, whether you're a painter or a sculptor or a photographer or an actor. And I experienced a lot of life in, the, in, in that five and a half, six years. So I was able to p apply that and pour that into... Uh, the character. And, and was it just the script? I mean, what, what sort of, what drew you, know, you back? I hadn't I mean, made a film fine, in a long time, right. so I was curious to see if there was anything left in that world for me, because I mean, six years can turn into 16 very, very fast, right. uh, or a lifetime. Um, and I was very creatively fulfilled. You know, I was behind the camera a lot. I was filmmaking a lot. Anyone know Bartholomew Cubbins here? Okay. <laughs> Um, so, you know, in working on this, it wasn't far from the process. Uh, uh, but I wanted, I was curious, uh, but I fell in love. I thought the role was an incredible opportunity, very challenging, and uh, yeah. Are we gonna see more from you? Uh, in well, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna make people sick of me already, you know? I mean, uh, I was already, you know, get a little bit out of time. All right, well, I mean, you've, the other amazing thing, and I was just listening to the, uh, the Panic Room commentary recently, and, and Fincher loves you. Do you have a girlfriend? I do have a girlfriend. Okay, yeah. my God. <laughs> uh, but he loves you. You've worked with, with yeah. Terrence Malick. You, you yeah. know, you've worked with uh, Oliver Stone. Are there guys who you'd want to you know, collaborate with? Oh, yeah. Again? I mean, there's so many. I'd love to work with Fincher again. Right. You know, he's the best. That would be a nice reteaming, right? The I think that would time, be great. Fincher yeah. and I. Yeah. Give, David give Fincher. Give Pitt a run for his money. 
Jared Leto. The story of Richard Simmons. Full frontal like you've never seen. The wigs, the chest hair, the shorts. I can see the poster already. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but there are people who you'd like to read. <laughs> I was just imagining with. myself in that outfit. The scenes, the exercise. But in a, in a dark David Fincher world. Oh no, this is a, this is a comedy. Okay. <laughs> David Fincher's dark this is comedy. David, okay. yeah, well, there's no dark. It's, okay, it's, it's just, just a full rom It'll be like your, your magic mic. It's a story of dogs and love and, and exercise and sweat. And sequins. Yes, and yeah. lovely, lovely older ladies. Well, I, I, think that <laughs> I think we'd all love to see that. We'd love to see you, you know, act on a more regular basis. I mean, is that... Yeah. You said you've got your whole next year planned out for you. Is, There's is a lot there of touring in there. You know, I mean, if something came along that was as wonderful as uh, as Rayon and Dallas Spires Club, then great. Yeah, I'm in. Anybody have a script out there that they think is really great? Yeah, I knew it. Uh, well, actually, now that... Uh, Always uh, like, yo, I got a story, man. Let me tell you something. It's about Richard My Simmons. My sister, let me tell you, she works at the library, right? She met this guy. He's a plumber. It's a love story. Fifty shades of grayer. <laughs> of shaved. You really want to show your penis. Fifty? You know what? You would too. Uh, is this the most X-rated one you've ever had? What's going this on? Is my, people this are is my so first. horny in New York. <laughs> That's the headline tomorrow in the Post. Horny crowd gathers <laughs> at iTunes chat for artifact. Yeah, this is my first uh, chat here, and it'll is this probably a film be my about last. A lawsuit so. or a love affair? <laughs> uh, I think we actually uh, are going to take some questions from the audience because it can't get any worse up here. Oh, uh, yeah. We've got a microphone here. Does anybody have a question? Burning desire? Yes, in the back with the glasses. Oh, you choose whatever you want. I just want to say I'm a big fan, and uh, thanks, Prefontaine buddy. is kind of like the the Rocky running. Thank you. And yeah, uh, thanks, man. I put it down. I've seen over 8,000 films, so I kind of... Holy yeah, moly. I kind of go back in. Security, right. Yes. Stalker alert. Uh-oh. Um, what's, what's it like being on the other side of the camera, and what do you have in the future as far as directing independent films or other documentaries? What's on the back burner? And um, do you do any producing on the music side? Or, and also, do you do any other writing outside of the band, or is it strictly... Just the band, and that's, that's that. That's 15 questions. Uh, um, well, you know, I love telling stories. I'd love to direct a narrative film. It's all about finding the one that you're most passionate about and the story that you just have to tell, right? I've flirted with a few projects, uh, but I haven't committed. Uh, but that, I, I'm sure that could happen very soon. Um, I don't tend to produce for other people. It's a very tedious job, and I just, it's, I don't really have the, just like directing other projects for people. I almost did something with Kanye once. Um, but besides that, uh, I really, I don't think I would, I would do it. it what just, happened with the Kanye thing? We just couldn't find, you know, it was expensive. It was a, it was a thing, it was a schedule and time and money and just tra making it happen, you know, which, what, that's how it always is. It's always about that. Um, but I don't know. But thanks for the question. Who else? Hello. Thanks for coming. Uh, <laughs> I'm just—it's my pleasure. Been a been a been a fan for a long time, uh, and I my question is, 
At the end of Artifact, you yeah. uh, you state that 30 Seconds to Mars has never been paid for any of your albums. Yeah. And I would, uh, I, I guess I just want to hear you speak maybe a little bit about what it means, you know, to survive as a musician for well, all of these it's years. It's really, you know? it's a good question. And I mean, what does it mean to survive as a, as a musician? What does it take, you know? We, we we make money. We make a living, um, and uh, it's a great living now. After you know, we were signed in 1998, so we we invested in ourselves, time, energy, passion, blood, sweat, tears, as well as uh, other things. And you know, it took a long time, and now we have an inf incredible touring life. So the touring is really where most artists uh, pay the rent. Um, you know, there's there's an accepted wisdom that artists really don't think so much about um, making a living from selling albums. But for me, it's never been about even making a living. It's been about passion. It's been about making something from nothing. It's been about sharing things with other people. It's been about creativity. And it's been about dreams. And that's what it should always be about. On, 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 the, other, on the side of it, just because you're an artist doesn't mean that you shouldn't be treated fairly. So it's important for artists to stand up and to fight and to be a part of that conversation. Amen. Hi, Jared. I just hey. had a question. Back in um, 2008, when you posted the open letter about the lawsuit with EMI, what yeah. were you thinking at that time? Did you think that you were going to have full disclosure with this? or You know, you reminded me. I wanted to put that letter in the film somehow, but we should release that. We should re-release it. You have it? I was wondering who took she that from She printed it out. Um, yeah, but I did. It's the first and only time in my life that I've actually written a fairly long letter and put it online. Uh, and it was one of the best things that I'd ever done. Um, we got tons of support from people all over the world, tons of support from the press, and I think it was important to kind of share our story, why we were going to war, uh, and to state our case, you know. Um, so it was an important thing to do, and I'm glad that, that we did it. And thanks for reminding me to, to share it again. As an artist, there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows. I would love to know about one moment, maybe in your creative lifetime, where you felt so low and you just had to scrape yourself off the street and bring yourself back, and then maybe one point in your career where you felt like you were floating, and how, whether or not you kept it going, mm. or what most creatively fulfilled you? Great questions, and you know, that, that stuff is kind of like the weather. It, you, you have bad days, and you know, from the outside, people may look at my life and think that everybody's, everything's good all the time, and it's really just not the case. Uh, you can have dark days. It doesn't matter how well your career is doing. You know, there's all kinds of things that happen in life. But as far as creative dreams go, uh, you know, I remember uh, we had released the first song off our second album, and it bombed. It did terribly. It was called Attack. And, yeah, well, you should have requested it on the radio more, buddy. <laughs> Uh, because nobody else thought so. And, you know, maybe there were other forces working at that time against us. Um, but I thought it was a decent song as well for the time. Uh, but it bombed. The record company wanted to drop us. They actually did. They called our management and said, we're dropping the band. Um, somehow, 
you know, they convinced the, the, the head of the record company, Jason Flom, the guy who was in there, to come and see us one more time at Madison Square Garden. We were opening for Audio Slave, uh, and the crowd hated us, right? They hated us. It was just a, but it was a, but the crowd was largely there. It was made up of Soundgarden and Rage fans, a lot of older people. And they just were like, who are these weirdos on stage? Will they get out of here? Uh, but anyway, we played that show, and, and the president of the record company, who had wanted to drop us, he decided to give us one more shot. But that time was really brutal, you know? It's our second album. We knew if we got dropped, it would be very difficult to ever find a way to make music and share it again. This was way before, uh, uh, you know, iTunes. It was way before uh, Facebook, and it was way before YouTube. It was way before it was so easy to make and distribute music and share your work online. Um, you know, so it was a challenging uh, time and really dark, but I decided to direct the video myself. It was for a song called The Kill. They released it, and it changed our lives. So, you know, and that's, that story has kind of happened more than a few times in our careers. You know, and it's happened to me as an actor. It's happened to me as a director. I've looked at things so many times, videos that you guys see now and think, oh, that's pretty good, and just wanted to, like, rip my eyeballs out. It was so bad. Um, so I think the thing that we don't teach each other and remind each other enough of is that failure is oftentimes more important than success, and success is the thing that can actually make us fail. It's really important to, to note what the lessons are to learn in failure. And uh, it happens a lot. It doesn't feel good, but it's a necessity. I'm just happy that you didn't say that this Q&A was like the darkest moment yes. of your life. Second. It was that. But, you know, I mean, Artifact we had a lot of ups and downs. I worked on this movie for five years. We started shooting in 2008. I, you know, this is this, I paid for this film myself. Um, and I'm glad that I did. I've learned more from this film uh, than almost any other thing I've ever done. Uh, and we shot for years, we edited for years. Uh, um, I'll lose money on this, I'll never make my money back, probably, maybe in 10 years or something. Um, but it's a labor of love and uh, I'm so glad that I did it. I'm so excited for artists and creative people to see it and maybe that they can learn and see what we went through and have uh, a different approach um, or be more informed. Thank you. Am I sounding like Anthony Robbins up here? Hi. I was wondering, since you write all the time and you're a great storyteller, would you ever do a rock opera? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question, but, um, you know, I, I'm not so much into the rock opera thing. I liked Tommy, uh, and I did love Pink Floyd, The Wall. Um, I don't know. You know Prince? What about Phantom of the Paradise? You know, I, I, I'm much more into, you know, I love documentaries. I can't tell you. I've, I've spent so much money on iTunes watching documentaries that I only hope for a gift card as I walk out of this event. <laughs> um, you know, I've been, and what an amazing platform, what an amazing technology, because, they, you know, they've done a great service to filmmakers and to audiences out there. Anyway, thanks to iTunes, we're all able to discover films and, and much easier now, and I do that all the time. This is terrifying. How do you do this? Um, I wanted to know, I draw... You're in the dark behind people. 
Try coming up on stage. Oh, there you go. Take advantage of it. She's not scared. Uh, I'm a little scared, but okay. I draw a lot of strength from your music when I'm going Thank through you. hard times, of course. And I wanted to know while you were going through this, who or what did you draw strength from? I mean, I drew strength from the music as well. I drew strength from knowing that we were fighting for something worthy. You know, there's that old cliche, there's no fight like the fight of the just. And that Aristotle quote, really, that's up there, sometimes we must fight in order to be free. You know, I found that really to be uh, true. Uh, so I, I drew strength from that and knowing that we were doing the right thing. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jared, for, that's it. for talking. Wow, yeah, that's holy it. shit. So Thank quick. you guys for coming out. Thanks to Film Buff. Thank uh, you, guys. If you haven't seen it, download it. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon. Appreciate thank you. it. Bye. Thank you. And thank you.